0: What's going on, y'all? Welcome to episode 22 of the Half Price Concessions podcast, a conversation with Tony White about being a race car spotter. Before we get into our interview with Tony, I wanna say thank you to everybody and anybody who's listened to any of our episodes. We sincerely appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. Do us a quick favor. If you're listening to this episode on a podcast app like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or. CastBox or any of those apps, there's a section where you can give a rating, like a five star rating, and leave a review. Please, if you can, take 20 seconds and do that for us. It will help us out more than you can imagine. Even if you just give the rating, if you, you give a bad rating, whatever it is, any kind of rating will help us out a ton. Thank you so much if you can do that for us. One thing that you see at racetracks, you see the drivers, you see them driving the cars, you see their pit crews down on pit road if you're sitting in the stands. But someone who is as important on the race team that usually you can't see is the spotter. The spotter is usually in some high obscure location at the racetrack, but he or she is the eyes and ears of these race car drivers more times than not they're the, they're the people that are helping keep the drivers as safe as possible telling them about wrecks on the racetrack helping guide them to victories and sometimes having to be their psychologist and calm them down and tony white is one of the best in the business that you will find in the state of north carolina tony spots from everything from bowman gray stadium to modified all the way up to daytona arca series and truck series races and I'm so glad he was able to take some time to just share a little bit of that inside knowledge that he has about what it's like to be a spotter. I hope you guys really enjoy this one. I know I really enjoy just sitting there listening and just learning about it. So let's get out of the way and listen to Tony. Episode 22 of the Half Price Concessions Podcast with Tony White is coming up in just a few moments. This episode of the Half Price Concessions Podcast is brought to you with support from Performance Center Racing Warehouse. In addition to being the home of the PRW chassis, Performance Center offers in-house setups and consulting, plus suspension and chassis pull-down analysis, along with their fabrication shop that can reclip your race car with the fastest turnaround in the industry. Give Roger Johnson and the Performance Center team the chance to earn your racing business by calling them today at 704-838-1400 or visit them online at PerformanceCenter.com. That's P E R F O R M A N C E N T E R.com. Here on the Half Price Concessions Podcast. And we are talking NASCAR... I, sh- I shouldn't say NASCAR spotting. I should just say spotting in general because you're not just NASCAR guy. But That's correct. NASCAR seems to just be the most popular thing. But Tony White joining us. Someone Glad to be here. I have been yelled at many a time in the tower. I think, I think the first time you yelled at me... And it wasn't even at me. I was just in the room. It was a Coma Modified Race. Coma Tour Modified Race at Ace. They were not counting caution laps, and you were spotting from the TV stand at Ace, which was right next to the tower. Correct. And I always left the window open so you and I could talk a little bit. Well, you pulled it open to <laughs> yell at Randy Myers how everybody was going to run out of fuel, mm-hmm. and they did. <laughs> yeah, some
1: things you can just see coming, and uh, I've, it's been a long time, but I, I do remember that. I'm like, you know, we we either need to stop the cars or... or uh, you know, do something different here because everybody was going to run out of fuel, and turns out that did become an issue. So well, see,
0: that, that's the thing. I think uh, I think people forget about you, spotters. It's not just that you're looking out for your driver, but you're also when it's like these, you know, tours and stuff like that. You're up there in the tower, wherever you are with an official, so you're having to communicate to the official probably in a better sense than like the team can down on the ground. The driver can't talk directly to them, so. I mean, you're having to get your point across for your driver. One way or another. Yeah, Yeah. so I mean.
1: And a lot of times the spotters official, which a lot of them are great guys, but some of them have their hands tied a little bit of what they can relay to the tower. And they'll kind of nod their head when, when, you know, one of us spotters tries to relay something. But, you know, that message doesn't always get delivered because they feel like they're going to get reprimanded or something like that. And I hear, you know, all of us spotters have to monitor race control. Yeah, so you're so hearing I, what they're saying back. I hear <laughs> if, you know, they might nod their head, but if I don't actually hear that guy say, hey, so-and-so to tower, let's, you know get this going it's it's uh it can be ugly at times the poor the poor in between official <laughs> yeah hey somebody's got to be there and that's the reason sometimes at ace i just slide the window open because i can you can talk my...
0: you can talk right to race control like, yeah. hey <laughs> yeah
1: but you know you would get in trouble for that at most tracks but you know that that coma deal it was uh it was a lot of fun but you know it wasn't always the most a little confusing at times. Yeah, a little lack of organization. But it was a you know a new series. I'm not. I can't beat up on that series, even though it's not around anymore. You know, yeah. racing modified tour type modifieds in the South is kind of few and far between. So anything you get is
0: a good thing in my eyes. Yeah. So the whole time that I've been announcing since 2010, I've always seen you around tracks and stuff. And you're a pretty well versed guy. You're not a you're not a one track pony or a one driver pony by mm-hmm. any means. You kind of no spot for a variety of guys and anybody that follows you on Facebook sees some of the tracks you get to go to at the higher ranks and stuff. One of the, uh, one of the main pictures I always think of you is of you spotting at Daytona, Mm -hmm. which just seems crazy when I see you at ACE and then I see you like on the, on the thing at Daytona. Is it, did, did it kind of take you a while to, be able to adapt to both where you could do both on consecutive days or did that kind of take When time?
1: I first got an opportunity to go to Daytona, obviously it was very eye-opening. It was, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of pressure. It's one thing to spot for somebody that, you know, uh, is running around a short track at a top speed of, let's say a hundred miles an hour versus at Daytona mistakes that happen at 180, 190 miles an hour they not only can affect your driver or a couple of people around and you can wide up the whole field. If you know, if somebody makes a blind blatant mistake and, uh, there's a lot of pressure there. Luckily the team that I went with the race 101 guys with Tony Blanchard and a few of the different drivers that we had down there. I think Kevin Powell, uh, actually drove a car. Tom Buzzy drove one of the cars. I was helping out a kid named Carl Weber at the time. He, uh, he was too young to actually race, but we went and tested uh, Sarah Cornette Ching. I don't know if you know that name or not. Yep. She she drove, spent some time in a car down there. <clears throat> and, you know, I had some pretty good guidance, some people around me that had been there. Um, my experience, uh, knowing some of the cup spotters, being able to communicate with some of those guys and and kind of get an idea of what's going on um, or the way things are done yeah. from our perspective. Um, some. What to look out for, what to do, and what not to do, Um, and then you just kind of got to earn trust and build confidence. You know, just like the drivers have to earn the respect of the other drivers on the track that they're racing around, um, the spotters have to be able to have the confidence, and people have to trust your ability to relay messages back and forth, and uh, make, and they know that if. If there's a guy with common sense on the spotter stand at least they know that they're that driver is getting good information yeah you know and they're more apt to work with you no matter what's going on if I tell somebody hey my guy'll be fine he'll just follow you you know whatever we'll stay in line we'll help you whatever if I say it and now that I've been there you know several times it you know my a word more clout. yeah you know? a little bit more clout but you know, it's uh, it's definitely nerve-wracking, you know, especially something like the Truck Series. The Arca cars tend to get spread out a little bit more. The Truck Series is three-wide the whole time. It's it's nerve-wracking oh, as hell. But so, we've got a pretty good strategy um, when we go to these tracks because we're not racing for points. You know, Brian Doza is my Arca and Truck Series driver that I help. And they're with the Raymott team that's been there a long time. The Truck Team is technically owned by a guy named Jim Rosenbloom out of New York. Yeah, And that's the reason we have the fire department in, you know, FDNY New York y on FDNY there. on there and in the, in the NYPD. Um, and that's one of the original truck teams that was there from 1995. And two years ago, we uh, I don't say we lucked into it. We ran a smart enough race and missed a lot of the action. We finished eighth. And that was that team's best finish ever since 1995 was yeah. two years ago. And so I'm pretty proud of that. And, you know, this past year, we uh, we we had a little mishap trying to get to pit road there was a lap truck that kind of broke up our draft and so we lost a lap but in the process we actually led a lap so that was cool for the team but our goal was to finish on the lead lap in the lead draft and we missed the lucky dog by one caution we went across the line 17th or whatever first truck a lap down with the lead pack so we had a plenty fast enough truck we just uh you know the circumstances kind of bit us, but we brought the truck home in one piece yet again, and we're going back again this year. So I'm looking forward to heading back to Florida in a week or two. I say you
0: are you are ultra busy. You are not. Yeah. <laughs> you do not get a lot of off time. No. When well, this when this stuff starts, do you, is is that a? I guess I guess that's a good thing. It, it it'd be better to be wanted than not wanted as a spotter.
1: Yeah, my a f- friend of mine, a very good tire guy, he helps the Cliftons out now, but he used to help the first driver that I ever spotted for Brandon Hire. Um, he spotted, or he, sorry, he's a, he's a very good tire specialist. His name is Jeff Mitchell. And one of his f- famous sayings is it's way better to be wanted than available. So
0: there you go. <laughs> I, I kind of take that to heart. So that's good. So you, you've been around racing for some time mm-hmm. working on cars and, and stuff. You're not just a spotter, but that's kind of just what I more know you as. When did you even, how did this even get started for you? Was it kind of like, Luck of the draw, someone just pointed at you and said, hey, you take the radio and go stand up there. Like, yes h- and how did that Yes happen?
1: and no. I mean, you know, um, first of all, you know, we're, we're at my house right now. And right down the street growing up, Bill Wilder lived about five houses down the street from me. And he had that natural light Pontiac Ventura sportsman car that he raced at Bowman Gray. Um, that was probably the first race car I was ever around. My dad sold auto parts for over 50 years, so I've always been around cars, but <clears throat> um, I guess the first team that I actually ever worked for was Junior Miller. Um, there was a guy that moved here from Connecticut to uh, get into the motorsports industry, the racing industry. And uh, so he moved down here, worked at a Chevrolet dealership. He and I worked together. Um, he's, he said that, uh, you know, you're always at Bowman Gray hanging out. You ought to just come work with us. And I'm like, you mean, you work with Junior Miller. I'm not a Junior Miller fan. That's, that's not my guy. That's, you know, but he finally kept on. He's like, come on, man, you'll, you'll love it. And sure enough, I did, you know, um, Jimmy Baker was the crew chief at the time. I didn't know him. I didn't really know any of the guys, but I was, you know, early twenties, learned a ton from that guy about how to maintain a car how to make sure nothing falls off of it we didn't have the best equipment but junior miller could drive a bucket of bolts you know he was kind of like the guy that drove that black three car yeah. junior could, he could overcome the shortcomings he, of the car that's exactly right and then some yeah. <clears throat> and you know he didn't really care if he made friends along the way or not but no. <laughs> he, he brought them with him to the racetrack you know and that's kind of yeah. that was kind of his mentality but you know that's the way you you win short track races, you know, that's just the well, way you know, not necessarily blatantly dirty, but if, if you're going to be held up, he's not going to ride behind you. You know, he's going to go. And, and that,
0: uh, that was at a time when you guys got to run some really cool places. Like yeah. it's, it's cool. I think, I don't know if you posted or not. Someone posted the YouTube video of Modified Running in North Wilkesboro. And I, yeah. I think you were you there, a, weren't you? Yeah.
1: yeah, we won that race. That is so cool. And there's a crazy story about that day. Um, we had our 93 Troyer, which was our bread and butter. That's what we were running back then. This was in 1996. And we won that race and rode the elevator up and celebrated there in Victory Lane. Well, there had been a rain out a few weeks before that at Carraway. And Carraway, for some crazy reason, decided to run their race the same night as Wilkesboro. So we loaded up and hauled ass from North Wilkesboro to Carraway where we had our brand new at the time 1996 Troyer sitting there in another truck and trailer. Um, so we, the crew, jumped in our personal cars and hauled tail to Carraway and we were leading that race with seven laps to go. And I believe that Puddin' and Swisher and Alfred Heel got together and Junior couldn't avoid them and tore the car up. There's actually a piece off the nose off of that car hanging in my garage down here. But did, did um, y'all
0: get there in time to qualify and stuff, or just to race?
1: Yeah, I think we, I think we did, but it was very little practice or whatever. Maybe, I, you know, Junior was so good at Caraway, I, I think he could unload a car right now and be competitive. Yeah. But, um, you know, that was just a, it was a special day. We almost won. Won, you know arguably one of the biggest modified races you know North Wilkesboro or Martinsville or Myrtle Beach or whatever I mean that's a North Wilkesboro was a really huge deal and then to go to Caraway and run the smart race at the time um we just about won that one but we won several down there I think we won like four in one year and yeah. and a couple of championships in the three in the three short years that I helped him once he started driving for the Riggs group that that's a uh you know that was a great race team but um you know, I kind of, I started at RCR and that's where I didn't, you know, I wasn't on the road per se at RCR all the time, but I did get to go a lot. Whenever I wanted to go, I would sign up and go and, 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 you know, I learned a lot. And, and I think that's kind of where I got my ability to communicate with drivers because I heard some of the best drivers, you know, um, Bert's, Bert Myers spotter, um, Danny Culler is a good friend of mine because he and I worked together at RCR. He used to spot for Dale Senior. Now, what were you doing at RCR? Like I, in I, parts, I, right? Yeah, I was in the parts department. When I first started there, I was stocking the parts rooms in the, in the three shop, the 31 Lowe's car of Mike Skinner and the, the truck of uh, uh, Jay Sauter. Yeah. So, and then they expanded to the Bush teams and, and this and that. And then, uh, you know, 2001 happened. Um, Harvick came along. Um, I helped Harvick out a decent amount on the on the Bush team with the AC Delco car and whatever. I traveled with those guys some. Um, but uh all that's you know, that was a long time ago. But to get back to where I kind of started spotting, um Brandon Heyer and I worked together at RCR. Yeah. Um I didn't know Brandon before I worked there. Um he told me that hey, I'm driving this modified now. For a guy named Brian Well, I knew who Brian Fischer was, and I knew his brother Aubrey and their their father uh, Lloyd, and all the guys from Clemens Speed Shop and everything. Great, great group of people. Um, so Brandon was running the North South Shootout. I down think it Concord. was down at yeah. Concord, and I believe it was two thousand and five. Maybe six. Yes, right. It's two thousand six, I believe. Anyway. Um, He blew an engine going through the dog leg in a heat heat race. He didn't wreck the car. He just blew up. Well, they never threw a caution. Well, he drove through turn three and four, and his dad, who was trying to crew chief and spot, which is... You know, a handful. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, his dad and he were on the radio, I guess, talking about the engine situation or whatever. And meanwhile, Brandon's coasting through turn three or four, whatever you want to call it in that triangle. And he's just
0: dumping yeah. fluid. Yeah,
1: dumping fluid. So here he comes down the front stretch and he's like, well, I got to get this thing off the racetrack. Well, he turned down and as he was turning down, Frank Fleming is leading that race and they destroyed two modifieds. Oh, yeah. So Frank was pissed. Uh, Frank was, <laughs> Frank was, it, that was mildly, but Frank's a great guy. And uh, so we took all the good stuff off the right side of our car and put it on the right side of Frank's car. And both teams were working on Frank's car so he could at least yeah. start the race. So we were, you know, felt terrible about what happened, but we felt good that we were able to get Frank back out there to where he could at least start the race. Um, over the winter, I started working with that, that 44 team and, uh, and we started, uh, run the ASA Southern modified tour the following year over the winter, uh, built my relationship with Jim hire Brandon's dad. Jim asked me, Hey, would you love to, would you like to spot? Are you interested in spotting? And I'm like, you know, that's something I've always wanted to do.
0: Really? You were pretty intrigued by that. Yeah. So was uh, it just, just from like the communication you heard at RCR. Yeah, like well, I mean, like there's, a cool there's, position. yeah,
1: there's a lot of it. Um, but it's just something. Uh, if you're not driving the car, I feel like the spotter has ability to make a huge difference on the racetrack. You know, and uh, I'm never one to get wound up on the radio unless, yeah. you know, if I raise my voice on the radio, it's time to react and react immediately. But usually, no matter what's going on in the chaos of Bowman Gray Stadium. I just never get too wound up. There's a million YouTube videos with Johnny Tilly and all those guys that produce the videos and of course the Madhouse show and this race night deal that they tried to do a couple, you know, a year ago. But um, you can kind of hear in my voice, you know, I never get extremely wound up and you've you've got to stay calm. I mean, I hear some recordings of people that are screaming over the radio and this and that. That doesn't make the damn car go any faster. Yeah. It just, just causes a headache for the driver. Yeah. I mean, I try to put myself in the driver's seat and I, you know, I kind of feel like I say what I would want to hear because if, uh, if I'm yelling and screaming and I'm trying to drive the car and I hear that crap in my ear, I'm going to take the radio and fling it out the window. I'd rather not have a spotter as somebody that, you know, hears a lot of that stuff or tries to communicate what they think. I mean, these drivers, they don't, they don't, They're wound up enough. They've got enough going on around them. Somebody's knocking their back bumper off. They're trading paint with whoever's beside of them. They don't need somebody screaming in their ear, also. So
0: yeah, one of the things I noticed in some of those videos that got posted um, on uh, on Jonathan Brown's page, you'll hear your voice, and then I feel like I hear another voice. Is that is that someone in the pits? I guess (coughs) one of the the crew guys. Does it? Do you guys kind of have to? Have you ever had to kind of like coordinate? how are you going to communicate because you're, you're communicating in one way where you're talking more often. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're kind of in the pits and maybe they pipe up if like he needs to come pit side or something like that. Do you, do you have to coordinate or do you kind mm-hmm. of keep yourself separate so that you're not involved in that kind of discussion?
1: Well, I mean, the racetrack's mine. I mean, the radio is mine when the track's green. Now, under caution or whatever, we might talk strategy, we might talk tire wear, we might talk pit strategy, whatever, but when, when the car's on the track at speed, you're gonna hear it from me if you walk over me, and I don't care who you are. Yeah. And that goes for at Daytona, or Talladega, or Charlotte, or Bowman Gray, or Ace, or wherever. You yeah. know, when the car's on the racetrack it's my responsibility and I treat it as such.
0: Okay. That's good to know. I've always kinda wondered how that how yeah. that dynamic works. Do they have to like cue you on a separate channel if they want to talk to you? That or do you kinda a keep lot, that of, lot of a lot of
1: teams do that. I've not been one to use a separate channel. Um, that might be something that I get into down the road. Um a lot of teams use a crew chief channel now to where you can talk back and forth and you, you have two buttons in your hand, basically, to yeah. where you can, I can talk back and forth to just the crew chief and the driver's not in the conversation yeah. or I can hit the other button and talk, obviously, to both. So, you know, that's, that's a lot of teams do that. I'm not, I've never done that, but I would be willing to entertain it, you know.
0: So when you get to go to a place like Daytona where you're, you're crazy high up, I know you got to have binoculars. Mm. You got all these different guys. There's, I don't want to say there's more on the line, but maybe there's more money on the line. The equipment's pretty darn expensive, and everybody's paying to play. When when you're in that setting, and like with the trucks, you're three wide the whole time. You're always in a pack. You're never strung out like the ARCA cars. How do you and the spotters communicate? Do y'all like touch each other? Do y'all just give each other looks? Like how do how do y'all communicate when you're talking to your driver?
1: During the race it seems like a lot of times we're on our own unless we're about to pit. Okay. That's that's the most important time during the race, but in practice you know, we'll do drafting practice and we're like, all right, we're gonna go high down here in turn one and you guys are gonna roll through and you know, uh, we'll just basically point, you know, hey, we're gonna go high or yeah. whatever. Or I'll even, you know, how the drivers, when they're uh, going down the back stretch and they're gonna pit, they'll wave their hand. Yeah. I'll wave my hand so the other spotters know, hey, you know, twenty eight yeah, eight's off the pace, off two here, so,
0: okay,
1: you know, and, and I'll make sure that my driver waves his hand and he gets completely off of the track because you can't just check up.
0: No, you're going yeah, mean, <laughs> to yeah, cause a wreck.
1: Yeah, you're going to cause a wreck. And the last thing you want to do is, is try to pull up in front of a draft that's coming if you're by yourself because you're, you're going to cause a wreck or get run over.
0: Sounds so, like if you can't multitask, this is not a job for you. No, you absolutely got, you got like not. 10 different things going on at one time. Mm-hmm.
1: It's just like, a, just, just like the driver. One mistake can ruin your day along with a lot of other people's days if, if you're not on your game.
0: Yeah. One of the things I see at Bowman Gray and I always see with you is you spot from up in the stands. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of the normal thing for Bowman Gray? I feel like I I, I see more people than you do it, but I've I've always kind of wondered if you're one of the the rare ones that goes up there to do it where everybody else stays in a separate place.
1: There is that tower, Bowman Gray, a million years ago. the fronts have that
0: single story field right, right.
1: the front stretch was the back stretch way before my time um, so there's that little old tower or whatever on the back stretch and a lot of the guys will go over there because it's a little bit higher perspective and you know you're not right there with the fans or whatever yeah. um, I personally don't like it because you have to look back and forth in that quarter mile track when you're hauling ass there's not a lot of room you can be in a wreck in three and four, if you're coming out of turn two and you your, turn, your head's turned the wrong way. Yeah. The reason that I stand where I stand is because I literally don't have to move my head and I can see the entire racetrack. I'm right on top of turn one. I can obviously look straight down and tell if my driver's clear, not getting into that corner. I can look diagonally across the infield and see if my driver's clear, not getting into turn three. Yeah. So, you know, um, I feel like I can call the restarts pretty good from there too, because I've got a really good perspective of how the cars are lined up. Um, and Bowman Gray doesn't, I don't think they care if you've got a radio, <laughs> you know, so you definitely, as spotters, you don't have to be in one position. Um, I think it was 2012. I spotted for, uh, Corey LaJoy in this K and N win at Bowman Gray. Yeah. And I sent, not a literal dummy, cause I'm sure that guy wouldn't like me calling him a dummy. <laughs> but, um, I sent somebody with a crew shirt and a radio to stand where the spotters were to, quote unquote supposed to stay. Right. And then I would stay in my spot. Okay. And then, you know, and obviously I could hear everything going on through race control. So, you know, unless I needed to talk to the official, I could radio to that guy and say, Hey, tell the official, we need to do this or whatever.
0: But, I gotcha. So that's, I've always kind of wondered about that. Mm-hmm. So now with hear, what you do these days, you spot for a lot of different guys. Does it take you a while to kind of learn the psyche of these different guys you work with, as far as drivers go? Like, which ones respond to certain ways of communicating, and which ones, like, maybe you have to talk to a little different? Is that do you kind of have to be a little bit of a psychologist, or do you just kind of keep treat them all the same and yeah? You either like I, it or you I don't?
1: basically treat everybody the same because it's kind of the same. I feel like across the board, um, and I feel like that I've done it so much and so many people respect me at this point in my you know, spotting career, if you want to call it that, um, that people kind of, most drivers kind of adapt to me. Most of them like the way that I talk to them. So, you know, I've worked with countless drivers now, so <clears throat> it's, it's very enjoyable to be able to go and use the same terminology with all different drivers. Now, granted, some drivers tend to need more help than others, yeah. I mean, but uh, for the most part, most of the people that I help are professionals and, and they, just, they just do it and don't complain about it. Some people want you to talk to them more and some people want you to talk to them less. But other than that, that's about it. I've yeah. kind of
0: wondered about that because I remember mm-hmm. I went to Martinsville a couple of years ago and I scanned uh, Brad Keselowski's uh, spotter and he was, t- he was talking a fair amount, but not not too excessive. But then, when there was like 50 laps to go, he was like, "All right, you know, he. I think he said something under the caution before the restart. Like, all right, I'm only gonna talk to you when necessary. I'm, I'm gonna leave you alone a little bit. Yep. And I was like, okay, that's you know, that's that seems like something that just comes mm. from knowing somebody. You know, at a certain point, like. I don't need to talk to them too much. <clears throat> yeah. it I mean, seems like some guys, like, they react quick when they hear you key, hear you key the radio. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, like I said, that is the biggest variance between drivers is finding out what they want. And usually that's somebody that's driven for a long time and probably has more experience than I do, you know. Uh, Jeff Fultz is one that, that comes to mind. You know, the first time I ever spotted for him, he was like, you know, there's... Uh, just let me know if I'm clear. That's all I want to know. You know, he didn't mean it ugly or whatever. He's like, just, I don't need to know what going on, whatever. But then there were several years between the time that I spotted for him at Bristol in a modified and the time that I spent, you know, spotted for him just uh, this past fall at Myrtle Beach in the 400, which we should have freaking won. Still mad about that. But anyway, (laughs) I felt like I called a pretty good race. He obviously drove a pretty good race. Um, We just got... Screwed by circumstances in a curfew there at the end of the race and got ran over. We got a, you know, the driver that ended up winning the race, jumped the restart. Next caution ended the race, basically. So he jumped the restart. We got put behind and then they wadded us all up in turn one. So we went from leading the entire second half of the race to getting wadded up on the last restart. Gotcha.
0: So you talked about how Bowman Gray, you can kind of get in a certain spot and you can kind of see the whole track. You Mm -hmm. don't have to turn your head so much. So I assume that's something you like. Where are some places where you have a challenge? Like, uh, Are there certain facilities that you go or you've gone to where it kind of gives you a headache or an ulcer a little <laughs> yeah, bit? As far, I as, mean, as far as where to set up where you can be comfortable?
1: There's, a, there's two places that come to mind. Um, both are great racetracks. They're just a challenge for spotters. The first one is Carraway because literally you're at the same height as the flagman. You know, yeah. if we were, if they could put us up on top of the tower or build us some scaffolding or put us in a bucket truck, I don't care. It'd be nice to be up higher where we would have a better perspective of the backstretch in the same exact problem with Carteret County. Yeah. Um, Carteret County.
0: Awesome. Beautiful facility. Absolutely. Just flat. It's, and they yeah. didn't, they didn't burrow that burrow at the Yeah. I think so they would have hit the water
1: table if they went <laughs> down very far because they're so close to the coast, but Great racetrack is just, you know, not as accommodating for the spotters. A lot of people don't like Southern National because you gotta kinda Kinley, you gotta climb up the erector set or whatever to get up on the roof and If the but, wind
0: blows I get worried. Oh
1: yeah, well you can feel that thing swaying, <laughs> but heights don't bother me. You can't get bothered by heights and be up there, you know, so um I I like Southern National. It's uh you know, as long as it's not
0: a 40 car field trying to get 40 spotters up there. Oh, I'm but sure. I'm sure some of those guys are not in very fit shape to climb that yeah, ladder. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, 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 that ladder's kind
1: of a res- uh, spotter restrictor plate there. It's not yeah. so many, <laughs> You can't be, but so big and get up that ladder, especially if you're wearing a backpack and got equipment and everything else, you know, a lot of the camera guys, i have to hand up cameras and stuff back and forth. Um, New Smyrna, God Almighty. I got called to the trailer and got my hand slapped at New Smyrna a couple years ago because K and N race. There's like twenty-five cars up there and two camera guys because it's you know on in fans choice or whatever. Yeah, whatever it was. It was. Yeah. yeah, so you've got camera guys up there, you got track cameras, you got the TV cameras, and then you're trying to put us all of us spotters in, you know, basically a shoebox. So uh that gets very frustrating. It's one level. So people are standing on camera boxes and milk crates and some people bringing ladders from the trailers. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And then, you know, uh, there's kind of a respect thing that spotters will do is go and mark their spot with a piece of tape.
0: Yeah, I've seen that.
1: Yeah, so, you know, we do that just about everywhere we go. Well, somebody moved my tape at New Smyrna Uh-oh. and I was, yeah, which is, you know, okay, now what? I mean, you know, granted, the camera guy has got a job yeah well so do i we're all paid to be there we got to work together but i'm not going to move your camera out of the way don't move my tape out of the way you know and it's it's one of those things that you know and then one thing gets moved another thing gets moved or whatever so i got called to the nascar trailer but we all got to see eye to eye and we we went ahead and raced and everything was good but you know that's just a big respect thing you know you don't go tugging on superman's cape not to say that i'm superman but at the same time you know you don't want to Everybody's there to do a job. Yeah. Everybody's there to make money and and you know try to have a you know a it, successful night. And you know when s- stuff like that goes on, it's just disrespectful. You know, yeah. And, and uh, to
0: help, I think put a perspective for someone that doesn't know, it'd probably be the equivalent of you as a spotter going mm-hmm. up in the flag stand, yeah. and trying to stand in front of the flagman. That's right. Of course, he's going to be upset. He's he's there to do his job. You're you're yeah. you're not you're not sharing a, the the space with him. Granted, you weren't supposed to be up there in the first place. Right, but. I think that'll help put it in perspective. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, those guys, you know, if you're going to have a TV crew come in there, I wish they'd just rent a scissor lift or whatever they need to do and, and not be on the same platform as the spotters because it's just too much and too small of an area. But
0: here's a question I've always wondered. So, especially when you go to the NASCAR races, they are longer races and it seems like you guys are kind of, you're, you're away from everything and everybody, which is a good thing do you have to, do you have to like limit what you consume before you go up there so you don't have to like, cause this doesn't seem like a job where you can lend itself to a bathroom break. Well, believe it or not, most,
1: most of the, most of the cup tracks, um, they have bathrooms pretty close to the spotter stand or whatever. And a lot of times we're under caution. You can tell it's going to be a long, long delay. Then, you know, there's a, there's a, time and a place for a pit stop for us too, but um, okay. but uh, you know, it's uh, it just depends on the track mostly, but usually most of the cup tracks, because you're in that position, you know, you can't expect guys to stand up there for four and a half hours or w- whatever, you know and uh and you better dry, have some comfortable not, shoes on yeah comfortable <laughs> shoes sunscreen you know a cooler some i forgot snacks. about the
0: sunscreen yeah have you gotten your face burnt oh, off? oh
1: yeah yeah you'll get fried up there because there's there's no place that we go that we're inside yeah. we're always on the roof it'd be nice for them to put a canopy over or whatever um, Bristol and the thunderstorm is always a challenge. You can't get off of that roof fast enough. Yeah, about to say. <laughs> you know I mean, it looks like a hurricane off of three and four at times and, and uh, you know, lightning and everything else. And we're still trying to race, but there's been some hairy moments at Bristol for sure.
0: Have you ever gotten to a
1: road course? Yeah, yeah. Um, when I did the K and N series a couple of years ago, I went to Watkins Glen and uh, I forget the name of the track, but there's a really nice track in New Jersey. Um, And, uh, you know, that's a challenge. I mean, Watkins Glen is absolutely, if anybody ever gets a chance to go, that is a great facility and it is a, and it is a party. I mean, those people up there, I mean, they party like they do at Talladega. I mean, they're inside the track and outside the track and lined up all the way around it. It's so cool. VIR, beautiful facility. Um, the only thing I hate about road courses, you, you can't have, I was able to actually, I was able to have, uh, Spotter help at at uh, VIR and yeah. and uh, Watkins Glen, but the uh, the track in New Jersey, you could see the whole racetrack from the spotter stand. So it was really cool. It was like a big tower building. It's like an old air force base or something. It's pretty flat. Not a lot of train changes, but
0: yeah. You didn't get that at VIR. That thing's got no, some elevation. No. Dip they in that put thing. us on a
1: flatbed <laughs> truck. In the middle of a field
0: and like, this is what you got. It It was like right there out of those kind of little bit of S turn a little bit.
1: Yeah, they called it NASCAR because there was a big left-hand turn there. And then they went up (laughs) under a bridge and and then they went up a hill and they're they're gone.
0: You lose them. That had to be, man.
1: VR is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. It's not
0: good to spot for them.
1: No, (laughs) no. But it is a very cool facility. I, you know,
0: I, I really like the road
1: course racing, and and uh, my driver at the time, John Holliman, he was one heck of a road course racer. We just always seemed to find trouble with the mechanical trouble with the car. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, we had a bug in that car. We couldn't get it out. But we led half the race at at that track in New Jersey just because he was able to save tires. Everybody else was running so far off the pace, you know, trying to save tires, and he was just you know digging. So he he actually lapped several people on a you know a mile and a half two mile road course i yeah. can't remember how big the place was but he did a great job in the in the road course car he really did
0: so now i'm gonna i'm gonna take a turn down the primrose path a little bit all right in what moments as a spotter do you just like feel like the most helpless like are, are there certain moments that just happen or just freak deals that happen and you just like you almost get sick to your stomach but there's really just nothing you could have done like
1: yeah i mean there's there's moments like that i mean you know uh the the second 25 lappers at bowman gray chances are you know we're going to be up front in the first race and we're going to end up somewhere in the back in the second race and you know that's really usually where we shine but there's some times that you just can't you're just buried yeah you're just buried and especially if you're on the outside It's, it's, uh, I'll preach. I would almost give up a spot to be on the bottom to start on the second race because you can hide in the grass. You can turn left and go out through the grass. But if you're on the outside, that wall doesn't move much. No. And, uh, and open wheel cars and guardrails don't mix. So. Yeah. I remember when Brian
0: Weber tried to, uh, he almost went over it. I think he got like halfway up. There's several that have attempted. Gone over it. Yeah.
1: There's (laughs) several that have attempted that. I think Bobby Hutchins turned his on his side and uh Austin Pack turned one over and I mean there's there's uh Kevin Powell's got a great picture on his Facebook page of him scaring the hell out of the flagman at Bowman Gray but no. you know um it's that, that that's a helpless feeling last year at Daytona with the truck was absolutely heartbreaking we we know we've got a really fast truck we've got a per- great strategy we know we're going to have a good run in the second lap of the race we run over a piece of lid and knocked a brake line off of the car and uh, blew a tire and took us out of the race on lap two you yeah. know um, ju- you know right after we had our good run at Talladega and bring us that same truck back and our same plan we just we just knew we were going to have a good day if uh, if we could stay out of trouble and which you know knock on wood we've been pretty good about staying out of trouble but there's just things that you can't control so. Okay.
0: So how do you how do you kind of set your schedule for the year do you have like certain certain guys that you're with all year and then the rest of the time you're kind of available like for freelance like how i'm i've always been curious how you work your schedule yeah
1: i mean brian runs part-time um jared fryer has been running part-time off and on he's uh he's going to go for the late model championship portion of the cars tour this year um jonathan has um Jonathan's got the car that I is close just relatively close to here he's a really good friend of mine I've been his main spotter since 2010 yeah so anytime that he says that he's going to run for a championship I try to go and help him out as much as I can um, a couple years ago when he wasn't running full-time that's the reason that I went with Holloman and we tried to run full-time on the K&N series um, I helped Jared uh, full season on the super late model deal portion of cars and whatever and ran some pass races and whatever. Um, Lately, I've just been, you know, I enjoy Bowman Gray Stadium. I've got opportunities to go Xfinity racing or, you know, run more truck stuff or whatever. You know, I kind of work for myself. Um, Spotting is is a moneymaker for me, but it's not how I make a living. Yeah. All, you know. And I don't know that I, I, you know, I really enjoy being with my friends on Sundays and hanging out on the lake with my boat and my friends and, you know, I just.
0: Having I that don't, freedom. Having, I having freedom.
1: that freedom, you know, and I enjoy the hell out of that. And I, there's no place I would rather be on a Saturday night than Bowman Gray Stadium. There's just nothing like it. 90% of your friends are there. It's 17,000 people. Everybody in the world is watching. Yep. Um, it's just, and, and when we run like we do, you know, it's fun. It's it's fun. It, you've got a really good opportunity to have a lot of fun, but you've got a pretty good chance to go home mad too. But you know, you know that when you walk in the gate Yeah. and uh, a lot of people hate it. A lot of people used to love it. That's just where they'll never go back. But th- those are the same people usually beating the damn gate in to get in the next week, you know? So yeah, there's, there's no place like it.
0: They're nah, just, it's, it's an anomaly for sure. It
1: is. <laughs> and it's, it's really cool that it's 10 minutes from here
0: yeah so to kind of wrap up what has kind of been your proudest moment like where you were just like you were just I want to say happiness but maybe happiness is the right word like just a moment where a driver or whatever you were involved with either gets a win or just accomplishes something and you were just like the proudest you could be I mean because you had such a big hand in it as that voice on the radio
1: right I you know there's so many moments I would, I would have to probably pick one of my more proud moments was our effort in 2012. We had a motor that was in pieces and we were, it was, it was race day. We had a motor that literally had bearings and a, and, and crankshafts and stuff, screwed, strewn across tables. And I talked to um, a guy, you know, that was head of that motor deal. Um, into letting me go and buy an engine to put in Jonathan's car at literally nine o'clock on a Saturday morning and I drove to Greg Butcher's house at nine o'clock in the morning and we had a modified motor sitting there that he had rebuilt that he hadn't run yet and so I handed him a check and we loaded that motor in the back of my 1985 S10 pickup truck and brought it here to my house and 14 of us were in my garage piecing that thing together. Aubrey Fishel came over and helped us out. We had help from our obviously our team and everybody else trying to volunteer and pitch in we loaded we fired that car but I mean we had to change the motor plate on the front of the engine and the plumbing and every I mean just everything that could go wrong went wrong it's 95 degrees we go to Bowman Gray they we missed practice um we missed qualifying they said all right look we know you're in a bad position or whatever we'll give you three practice laps we went out there and Jonathan's like yep car's pretty good so Um, that was a draw race. It was a hundred lap draw race. I think we drew third yeah. and we took the lead pretty quick and led the whole damn thing and won the race. And, and, uh, I've actually got the big fake check hanging on my garage wall down there from Jill. So anyway, I thought that was, that that was a special moment, but there's been a, you know, a lot of special moments, even not race winning moments. You know, when Brian Doza at 59 years old goes and finishes eighth at Talladega, you know, um, when we qualified, Third with the ARCA car and in, you know, in group qualifying because our strategy just happened to work out perfectly and we were able to get the right pull from the draft in front of us and put up a big number. And there was guys in front of us on the racetrack that didn't make the race. Yeah. But we because we, as they say, sucked up to those guys in front of us, we were able to put up a big number, we ended up third. You can imagine. The uh, the and we missed the pole by like two tenths of a second at it, or maybe even less than that. Maybe yeah, pretty it, close, it was really close. And you know, it, it's really cool to see somebody that um doesn't have a lot of success and even at short tracks or you know, maybe struggles here and there or whatever to go to a place like that to fulfill a dream and be successful
0: at it. So, well, yeah, I appreciate so, you taking time, brother, and I yeah. will give. A word of the wise, if you got all the way to the end of this interview, if you see Tony spotting at your track or if you see him at Bowman (laughs) Gray, if it is green flag, do not walk in front of it and right. do not try to have a conversation with him. That's right. Maybe under caution, he'll, he'll yeah. look at you, but don't yeah. bother him under yeah. green. Just, bef- <laughs> just
1: before the national anthem or after the night, you can feel free to come down to the pits and hang out with us. And I'll, I'll talk just, you know, until I'm blue in the face. But yeah,
0: Don't bother him under green. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm in my office at that point. I don't bother you at work. Don't bother me at work. But anyway, I appreciate everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to yet another edition of the Half Price Concessions Podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, we sincerely appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode or any of the episodes we've put out. Do us a favor and hit the subscribe button if you listen to this podcast on a podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Castbox. Himalaya, Castro, Overcast, and Pocket Casts. So whichever app you listen to us on, hit the subscribe button. Leave us a rate and review. It helps us out a ton. It really, really does. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at HPCPodcast and also find us on Facebook by searching for The Half Price Concessions Podcast. You can also find all of our episodes on our website www.anchor.fm slash hpcpodcast thank you for listening and I hope that you have a great day